everybody, and welcome to another brand new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. My name is T, and of course, we are talking scary movies. I appreciate y'all tuning in for another brand new episode. New episodes are typically going to go up every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, at least the video version on our YouTube page. Now, you can see the link just right over there, but that is youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Again, youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie, just in case you're listening to our audio-only version, which is on platforms including Podbean and Spotify. Uh, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure that you share this as well. And of course, comment. I like having conversations with y'all on what we're talking about and even other random shit that we're going to get to at a certain point as well, too. It's always fun interacting with you. I had some great conversations on Twitter this week with some folks regarding the uh, Dexter New Blood series finale. So, uh, that was that was a lot of fun getting to have that conversation. That reminds me, you can find me on Twitter at AXDEW. Again, AXDEW. That's AXDO. Follow me on Twitter. I have my fun horror conversations on there as well, too. And if you want to see some of my thirst traps, you can also check out my Instagram. That is Theron underscore Reynolds. Give me a follow as well. Come on and see some of those thirst traps I'd be posting. They're much better. Uh, much better than what I'm looking right now there. But, hey, I still look good, as you can see. Uh... Considering what we're talking about in today's episode, I wore the appropriate shirt. Um, I, I know what you're thinking. Like, wait a minute. That should not be Michael Myers. And if I hold this up higher, you can see who he's holding as well, too. For those of y'all that don't know, this painting, the original painting, entitled The Scream, The Screamer, uh, is like kind of where the inspiration for the ghost face mask came for in the Scream movies. Um, and I got this as a Christmas gift this year, and I thought it was kind of right on the nose having Michael Myers show up and have the Screamer right there holding it out. Uh, you know, it'd be fun to get like a Halloween versus Scream kind of match up there, but that ship, I feel, kind of sailed with Dimension and the Weinsteins going, yeah, less to said about them, the better. But you know what you're here for today, folks. Uh, if you're listening to this on the right time and on the right day, that means that Scream or Scream 5, whatever you want to call it, is set to come out into theaters tomorrow night. That's Thursday, January 13th, 2022. The time has come. And it's insane to think it's been 11 years since Scream 4. I didn't realize how much time was really in between it because I kind of feel, at least for me, time has been like feeling super salute, uh, like super salute, uh, like super compacted in like the last decade and a half now. I feel like anything from 2010 on feels like it just happened to me last year. So I feel like Scream 4 just came out. It shocked me to realize that movie came out. 11 years ago that's absolutely insane shocked me even more to remember that scream 3 came out in 2000 11 years prior to that uh scream 1 and 2 came out super quick but 3 and 4 uh th excuse me uh 4 and now 5 incredibly incredibly delayed in terms of a release but it's coming out regardless right now there is a lot of great buzz going on about this that um, our new filmmakers have absolutely taken this franchise into their hands and they've paid homage, uh, uh, homage to uh, Wes Craven, Kevin Williamson, and you know the rest of the cast and the crew, everybody that's put in their hard work over the past you know, 20 years, basically, 
uh, 25 years of this franchise and that this is a perfect way for the franchise to continue. I'm stoked to see it. I have my ticket set up to go uh, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. I'm going to go check it out. I am so, so stoked to go and see that there. But I figured we had to catch you all up on the events of the Scream franchise just in case you're not going to watch them all before you go and see it. Or maybe you don't want to watch them all. Maybe you want a short recap of all the events to get you caught up. So stay with me here. We did this for the Chucky franchise right before the debut of the Chucky TV show back in October. And we're doing that right now here with Scream. But I'm going to give you a spoiler. We are not talking about the TV show at all just because at least right now and presumably for the future, the TV series has absolutely nothing to do with the film series at all. We're not even sure if they're in any kind of same continuity or anything like that either. So it's best just to completely avoid talking about that. We are just talking Scream 1, 2, 3, and 4. So, perfect time to catch you up on the, on, on the series. Let's get right into it. So we start. Woodsboro High student uh, uh, students Casey Becker and her boyfriend Stephen Orth are murdered by somebody in a ghost face mask after being asked a series of questions based around horror movies. The next day, another Woodsboro High student, Sydney Prescott, whose mother Maureen Prescott was murdered the year prior, is also attacked by somebody in a ghost face mask at her house, only to be saved by the intervention of her boyfriend Billy Loomis and the local police. Unfortunately, due to circumstantial evidence, Billy is arrested in suspicion of the attack on Sydney and the murder of Casey and Stephen the night prior. Local reporter Gail Weathers, who published the book claiming the innocence of the sole suspect of Maureen Prescott's murder, Cotton Weary, begins to investigate the attacks while striking a romance up with local deputy Dewey Riley. While staying the night at her best friend Tatum's, Sydney is contacted seemingly by the same killer, proving Billy's innocence. The next day, Billy, now released from prison, attempts to make amends with Sydney, but unfortunately they can't come to any kind of resolution, and later in the day, Sydney is attacked again at Woodsboro High. With school classes being canceled for the time being, the town is placed under a curfew, and the killers murder the principal. Sydney and Tatum, uh, Sydney and Tatum's friend Stu, throw a party for all the local teens at which friend and horror nerd Randy explains the rules of surviving a horror movie successfully. I know y'all know those rules. So classic, so fantastic now. Um, the killer emerges, severely wounding Randy, Deputy Dewey, Gail Weathers, and ultimately murdering Tatum, Gail's cameraman Kenny. It is then revealed that the killer is actually two killers, Billy, who was revealed to have actually murdered Sydney's mother a year prior, and Stu, his willing accomplice. But Sydney is able to get the upper hand and kill both, ending the rampage. Later on, Sydney and Randy are now attending Windsor College and are shocked by the killings of fellow college students Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens at a premiere for the new movie Stab based on the events of the first film and more specifically the recent Gail Weathers book The Woodsboro Murders. Another college student, Cece Cooper, is murdered before both Sydney and her new boyfriend Derek are also attacked by a killer in a ghost face mask. Now Gail who is looking to capitalize on the success of her recent book and set up the next one, 
trying to get a nationwide interview set up with the newly released Cotton Weary reunites with Dewey, who has also come to Windsor College to watch, or watch over Sydney and Randy. Not long after explaining the rules of a sequel to Dewey, unfortunately, Randy is killed and Sydney is uh, placed into protective custody with the police. The killer, though, one step ahead, is able to severely injure Dewey, murder Sydney's protection, and Sydney's roommate, Hallie. Finally, back at the Windsor College Theater, the killers are revealed to be Sydney's friend, Mickey, who murders Derek before revealing an alliance with Billy Loomis's mother, who is seeking revenge for her son's death. Looking to cover her tracks, Mrs. Loomis kills Mickey, but before she can kill Sydney, uh, she is saved by the appearance of Cotton Weary, who shoots and kills Mrs. Loomis. Years later, Cotton Weary, who is set to make a cameo in the new Stab film, Stab 3, Return to Woodsboro, and who now works as a talk show host in Hollywood, he and his girlfriend are murdered by a killer in a ghost face mask looking for information on Sidney Prescott. Gail Weathers is approached by the LAPD to consult on the murders due to the photo of Maureen Prescott being left at the crime scene and again reunites with Dewey, who is working as a technical advisor on Stab 3. Though, after actress Sarah Darling is murdered after arriving for a meeting with Stab 3 director Roman Bridger, production on the film is shut down. Actor Tom Prince and bodyguard of actress Jennifer Jolie Stone are both murdered by the killer at Jennifer Jolie's house before the killer attacks Gail and Dewey, again leaving another photo of Maureen Prescott. Sydney, who has been in seclusion, attempting to avoid the chance of another incident happening, is lured to Hollywood after being contacted by the killer, where she is then reunited with Dewey and Gale yet again. Dewey, Gale, and Jennifer discover that before moving to Woodsboro and giving birth to Sydney, Maureen Prescott worked as an actress in the Hollywood who was forced into the casting couch. All parties converge at the house of director Roman Bridger, where Jennifer Jolie and other fellow Staff 3 actors, Angelina and Tyson, are murdered by the Ghostface killer, along with Roman himself. But it's then revealed that Roman is not only our killer, but is also Sydney's half-brother, who, as a result of the forced casting cow sessions Maureen was forced to endure, uh, was born as her bastard child. When Roman sought, uh, sought out Marine in Woodsboro, she refused to accept him, and that resulted in Roman going crazy and then setting in motion Billy and Stu's plan to murder her. Trading blows, Sydney is finally able to get the upper hand before Dewey is able to kill Roman. Ten years later, Woodsboro High students Marnie Cooper and Jenny Randall are murdered by a new killer in a ghost face mask. Sydney Prescott, who has returned to Woodsboro to promote her new autobiography, is labeled a potential suspect in the murders by Dewey, who has become the new police chief due to circumstantial evidence. Sydney's cousin Jill and her friends also find themselves targeted as Jill's friend Olivia, Sydney's publicist, Jill's mother's, uh, mother Kate, and Dewey's deputies Perkins and Haas are all killed by the Ghostface killer. While investigating the murders on her own, Gail Riley, formerly Weathers, is attacked at Stabathon, a yearly festival dedicated to the viewing of all the Stab films. As more bodies begin to pile up, students Robbie, uh, including students Robbie and Kirby, Jill and classmate Charlie are revealed to be behind the killings. 
Jill, jealous over all the attention given to Sydney over the traumatic events of her life, betrays and kills Charlie, along with her ex-boyfriend Trevor, looking to frame the two for the deaths that have been happening across the film. After stabbing Sydney and staging a scene to support her story, Jill, Dewey, Gale, and Deputy Hicks all end up at the hospital. Sydney, who has survived Jill's attack, is forced to ultimately kill Jill to save her friends. And there you have it, folks. That is the Scream franchise in a nutshell. We got to that in 10 minutes, four films. That's all you need to know. There's a lot of stuff obviously got left out, but it's not stuff that's really uh, crucial to your understanding of this series as a whole. Now, we don't know what to expect in Scream 5, honestly. I've said for the longest time that I believe one of two things is happening here. One. At least one of the big three, which is Sydney, Gale, and Dewey, are going to die. Or two, one of the big three is behind these murders. I feel that even with everything that's happened, one of those is the natural progression of where the series needs to go. Now, we're talking about one of those big three dying. In my opinion, that makes sense only because... You have to kill this one of them for them uh, there to be real stakes. Uh, Randy had the job of explaining all these rules across the first three films, and that role transferred over to uh, uh, um, Charlie and Robbie in Scream 4. But the rules have always made it seem like main characters can die. But yet and still, across these four films, if we're talking about the deaths of main characters, the only two we could really focus on would be Randy and it would be Cotton Weary. And Cotton Weary's not really even a big part of the entire collective group. Unfortunately, he got fucked because he fucked the wrong woman. Uh, Randy, though, even Randy, you know, movie and a half, basically. He had the cameo in three, but we haven't really had the high stakes. And that's not an insult at all because we get to know and love most of these supporting characters throughout the four films that we've had. But you'd be hard to find somebody that doesn't agree that it would have a bigger impact if at least one of our big three bit the dust in this one just because it's clear from all the early press that's coming out all the reviews and i'm hoping the box office supports that as well too this is not going to be the end of scream it, it can't be the end of scream we're going to get another film i i'd be shocked if it wasn't announced by the end of the year honestly uh, but i have to feel this isn't the end of the scream franchise and if that's the case we have to get rid of one of those, like at least one of those three, if not at least two of them there. Have somebody there in a mentor role, have them pop up. That can be the old person who jumps back in. I don't mean old as in old, but you know, they're the veteran who pops back up to like let them know what's going on and they stay the fuck out of the way, basically. That's fine with me. And based on the looks of it, it looks like Dewey might actually take that kind of role here for this film. Um, to where Dewey typically takes a backseat to like Gail and Sydney, whatever they have going on. And I kind of feel from the looks of it, Dewey might have a bit of a more important role this time around. We don't know. We'll find out soon. Uh, I'll find out here tomorrow for sure. But I'm so stoked to see where Scream can go with this series. Um, this has been a fantastic franchise that hasn't done much wrong. Even the TV show, which is not part of the continuity that we know about yet, has done so many things right. So many things right there at the time when that show was coming out. But we'll find out. We will find out. Uh, I'm going to be shocked if there's some reason I don't end up liking this. I, I don't see how that happens. I really, really don't. Uh, so, yeah, make sure to go and check it out. Give them that money. They absolutely deserve it. Don't be a loser. Go check out Scream 5, all right? Next week, 
I'll be here talking about it. Uh, and my good friend, Mr. Eric Brady, will be joining me. Uh, Y'all who have been in our watch parties know my boy E. He is absolutely hilarious. He is one of the hosts of the longest running uh, weekly wrestling podcast out there. RBR Weekly uh, weekly wrestling talk there. Um, he's going to join me to talk Scream 5. One of my good, good friends. I told him I needed him on the show to discuss this. So I'm excited to have him all next week to go over that. But we now get to talk Dexter New Blood. So uh, this past Sunday, we got the 10th and final episode of the new series Dexter New Blood. Now we knew coming into this here, this was set up as a limited series. Now, the fact that it was said it was a limited series, I think a lot of people assume where that meant that the show was ultimately going to end because a lot of people who were pissed off about the way that the original uh, the original series ended were hoping that this would go a certain way. Now, we're going to talk about that, so I want to let you all know right now, if you are watching this, you need to turn this off now because we are going spoiler heavy on these last two episodes. Turn this off. You got the scream stuff that you needed out of the way here. This is the only thing we got left to talk about for the episode or these last two episodes of Dexter New Blood. So turn this off now if you have not watched it and don't want to be spoiled. So episode nine, the family business. We find out that Angela is getting more and more evidence that Dexter may be behind all these missing girls. Uh, he might be behind other murders that are going on as well. She's starting to discover things about Miami as well too. But we also find out though that uh, Dexter has slowly started to reveal his code to Harrison. If you recall, at the end of episode eight, we got that great hug. He finally opened up to Harrison and told him a bit about himself. And I think a lot of us, you know, took the idea that, oh, cool, everything's all well and good. But we also have to understand that there's no way this show is just going to go into straight happiness or anything like that. That's not what this show does. For every good action that happens there, there has to be at least two or three bad ones to make up for that. And so we should have known off the jump this was not going to go smoothly. Dexter uh, tells Harrison about one of his earlier murderers, Wiggles the Clown, um, and is leaving certain points out as his dark passenger is telling him, pleading with him not to share certain details with Harrison. And I get it because um, the one thing that we do find out in this series finale, and I'm going to kind of just talk about them together rather than go episode by episode there. But one thing, one big point we find out in this series finale, which we should have already known as well, too, is that. Dexter and Harrison, for as much as they are similar, are also incredibly, incredibly different. What Dexter went through, you know, seeing his mother murdered, being left in that shipping container just full of blood, completely fucked his mind up, and understandably, he lost the ability to feel uh, feel human emotions. He became a sociopath and a psychopath, and eventually developed an affinity for murder. And uh, he was adopted by Harry, who was able to channel that productively into working on the right side of the law. But it is an addiction. Um, Dexter does it because if he doesn't do it, the idea always was is that he might just go crazy and murder whoever at that point. That it's not necessarily... Um, you know, he likes doing good. It's just that it's, it's a necessity or else he goes the other way. And we're confirmed that with Harrison, that's just not the way that that works out. Harrison, while he did see his mother murdered and remembers sitting in the blood and everything as well too, Harrison's life was fucked up by everything that came after that. Because remember, Rita died 
halfway through this through the series like rita didn't die right away she didn't die at the end of the series there like rita died and then harrison was still like was still around for a while so there was a lot of good stuff there but the problem is is that after dexter left harrison's life just kind of took a downward spiral and he started channeling a lot of that anger into everything that was going on uh not having a father around losing hannah um, going from foster care to foster care and whatever hell he had to deal with that, his own feelings of inadequacy or that he caused, uh, you know, the Trinity killer to murder, or murder Rita, all these things going through his head. None of it was this desire to murder. It was the desire to inflict pain, but only because of what he went through, not because it was something that he actually needed to do, which meant he had a bigger chance of redemption that Dexter never would. Now, Harrison and Dexter find Kurt's bunker, which is filled with his trophies, which is one of the most egregious trophies we've seen across the entire uh, series altogether, just because most of the killers Dexter encounters don't keep trophies like that that could absolutely incriminate them. And Kurt has kept a collection of bodies over X amount of years. He's, he's, uh, he's kept them pristine. He's kept them upkeep. He's kept them safe, basically. And we also find out one of those bodies is unfortunately uh the uh, mary fucking kill podcaster molly yes jamie chung from the real world unfortunately was added to that collection which caught me by a shock because she did kind of disappear there and i just kind of felt that she was gone uh kind of like the uh the the dude who, who was having issues with angela and audrey at the beginning of the show who never fucking popped back up remember I said in those first couple episodes, oh, this guy's absolutely in on it there. Whether he did it or not, like this is like he's part of what's going on. And his ass never showed back up. And it actually ends up being one of the weakest red herrings and MacGuffins of New Blood. Um, what the fuck was the guy's name? Like, cause he wasn't there long at all. Um I can't remember it because he was only in two episodes there. But it, it doesn't change the fact, though, that uh, 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 that there was no use to him being there. He didn't offer anything. Molly was a different story, though, because it was very clear from the jump that what Molly was doing was eventually going to cause a problem for Dexter because she had the episode on the Bay Harbor Butcher, and that's not just there for show. You can't bring that back up and have um, have Angela hearing all that information, and it's not going to be a point of contention, and it definitely was. The problem, though, is that Kurt set up a lot of contingencies in the ultimate, uh, the ultimate event of his death. So, while Harrison and Dexter are working on setting up the kill room and trapping Kurt to ultimately take his life, uh, uh, Kurt has turned the tables on Dexter by burning his house down and some other things that we'll get to here in just a little bit. Now, with Dexter and Harrison... The thing is, is that Dexter explains this journey, their mission, kind of similar to being vigilantes, which Dexter is a vigilante, but he's also a serial killer. And he makes it sound a little bit more positive than what it really is. Because for Dexter, he has to do this. He absolutely has to do this. It is an impulse that he must act on whenever he absolutely possibly can. But he almost always follows the code of Harry. And that's one of the very few things that sets him apart from a lot of other serial killers out there. Doesn't make him good, doesn't make him right, but it does separate him just from the random serial killers that are out there doing all this harm to other people. The thing is, though, is that once you put all that out there in the ether, it's hard to go back on that, especially when it comes to murder. 
So Dexter and Harrison end up getting Kurt, uh, end up trapping Kurt and take him back to his, uh, to his kill room, to his trophy case. And there Dexter kills Kurt. Finally, Kurt Caldwell is gone. But as we can see from the murdering of Kurt, Harrison's not taking that too well because even though Harrison has this aggression and he's he's violent and he's going to lash out, that doesn't necessarily mean he's trying to kill anybody. And so very clearly he's put off, he's disturbed, he's he, he's not feeling right about what's going on with Kurt and Dexter, especially when he finds out that Dexter murdered Kurt's son, Matt, and that's causing some problems there. Um from there though unfortunately angela receives a letter that contains screws from kurt's son matt along with a note that says dexter killed matt as well now we don't know who sent it presumably uh kurt himself sent that before uh before everything else he did just again as an insurance policy and this leads to angela arresting dexter for the murder of matt caldwell as well letting him know that he will also be held liable for the murders of the bay harbor butcher as angela has contacted angel batista she's corroborated a little bit of information and based on all that together angela has done something that plenty of other investigators of the course of the series including frank lundy and the fbi uh, lieutenant laguerta batista sergeant dokes uh that multiple people of the course of this series could not do angela in the town of iron lakes is able to put it all together that dexter has to be the bay harbor butcher now it's not new seeing dexter in a situation like this throughout various points in the original series people found out who dexter was and dexter had to deal with that discovery and the different ways that he did but i think one of the biggest differences with that was that we never felt that dexter was going to cross certain lines to get that done um when dokes trapped him and eventually dexter trapped dokes the idea came that dexter had to figure out was he going to sacrifice dokes to this because basically if he lets dokes go to the police alive dokes turns him dokes puts him out there and he's screwed and if dexter kills him he's killing an innocent just because dokes didn't have anything to do with this dokes didn't do anything bad and so season two gave us that big dilemma of what dexter was going to do and remember a lot of people don't remember but remember, Dexter was going to let him go. He was going to let Dokes go. He wasn't going to kill Dokes. The decision was taken from him by Lila because Lila decided to go ahead and blow up the cabin. But Dexter was absolutely going to let Dokes turn himself in and just see what the hell was going to come out of that because he wasn't going to kill Dokes to support that. The same way that he got absolved from killing LaGuardia as well, too, when Deb found out. Because Deb had a choice, basically. Whether you kill Dexter or you arrest Dexter and let all that play out, or you don't. And Deb went a step further and killed LaGuardia to protect Dexter's secret. And that dealt with, basically, in, into the show. Ultimately led to Deb's death as well, too. And to me, that's what made the uh, the last few seasons of Dexter so fucking interesting is that um, Deb was so clueless for so long and having somebody that knew and wasn't going to accept that shit made it all the more interesting until she eventually did have to accept it and try to curb a lot of what he was doing there. Not the way this was going to work here because Dexter in a last ditch effort 
turns uh, Angela over to uh, Kurt's trophy case to find all that information. And I think a lot of us have viewers were expecting that, okay, well, that means he probably gets out of this because Angela, for whatever reason, is going to end up having to let him go. And who knows, maybe Dexter and Harrison go off and start a new life because they can't stay there. But unfortunately, Dexter in his most uncharacteristic self takes a step that seriously alienated me. Dexter kills Deputy Logan, the man who coached his son and has been there just as much as Kurt has for his son across all of New Blood. Now, a lot of people I know have supported that decision and they've been okay with that decision there. It didn't sit well with me, honestly, just because, uh, especially after going over the code so much with Harrison, the fact that rule number one is always don't get caught, but rule number two is never hurt an innocent, Dexter breaks that immediately. He breaks that immediately. And I could accept that if he wasn't willing to bail out on Harrison. So everybody that's okay with all that, oh yeah, you know, like it helps because then like that's why him and Harrison have tension at the end. Sure. But then why was he trying to leave Harrison then? Okay. You can't do that. If the goal is, it, the goal, it, it can't be both. It can't be, I need to both get out of here solo and I need to get out of here with my son. What is his priority? Because if, if his priority is only himself, he's not going to hurt Logan. He's not going to hurt Logan at all. He doesn't kill Logan, end of story. If his priority is, I have to get out of here with my son, then sure, it makes sense. But then it doesn't the moment that Dexter realizes Harrison's not going to come with him and he has to go. No, you fucked up. And Harrison gave you a chance to turn yourself in to kind of make up for all this and have some kind of relationship, and he still doesn't take it. And that was my biggest problem with this finale, boys and girls, is that it, unfortunately, it makes that other decision look completely asinine at that point. If he kills Logan and the rest of the show happens without him, like, even offering up the possibility of leaving Harrison, I could be on board with that. But the fact that he kills Logan and then still is going to make a decision to leave Harrison behind by himself. Mm -mm. At that point there, we are too far away from the Dexter that we've known and all that progress that Dexter has made over the course of, you know, the nine, nine, ten seasons, basically. So I, I wasn't a fan of the way that ended. As a whole, New Blood, fantastic show. I'm so happy with everything that they did with it. But it's the killing of Logan that, for me, is going to be the most decisive point. It's going to be the, the most worst point of Dexter as a whole for years to come, honestly. I do feel this was a worse finale than the original one, unfortunately, because I didn't have issues with the original finale. And a lot of people did. I didn't, honestly. I was cool with everything that happened. Deb being killed. Dexter killing Saxon. Uh, Dexter tossing Deb's body out into the sea. And then Dexter ultimately moving to Seattle, becoming a lumberjack. I'm cool with all of that, honestly, because it all seemed right given everything that was happening across the season. Dexter killing Logan doesn't gel well with me. I'm not going to get on board with it. Love New Blood, was not happy with that finale, though. So I'm curious if y'all's takes on it. Let me know in the comments here. Uh, let's discuss this some more. Let's break it down and see where we're at. But that's going to do it for us, folks. We've talked the Scream franchise. We have talked the final two episodes of Dexter New Blood as well. Like I said, next week, my good friend Eric Brady is going to be joining me, and we're going to discuss Scream 5. We're both going to get a chance to see it, and we're going to give you our review as well. 
we are going to be uh, talking and reviewing the remake of Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, we've watched the uh, uh, the second one, at least, uh, in the last couple of months. I absolutely love that movie. That movie is so good. The first one's really good, too. But they did a remake last year on Sci-Fi or Peacock, I believe it was, that actually wasn't getting bad reviews. And that's what we got paired up with Scream 5 to talk with y'all. Now, we got a bunch of other great stuff coming for you in the woodwork as well, too. So you do want to make sure that y'all are hanging about because uh, after we talk Scream 5 and some Party Massacre, we're going to hit a couple requests. We're going to do Underwater in the Meg coming up on January 25th. And then, provided the release date holds, on February 2nd, we're going to be talking Orphan and Orphan First Kill as well. So we got a lot of really good stuff coming up for y'all over the next few weeks. And then... It's Valentine's Day, guys. And of course, we got to talk My Bloody Valentine. So that's going to be coming up as well, too. Uh, get to the Facebook group so you can find out what we're doing in the watch party tonight. Uh, and then make sure you're liking, you're commenting, you're sharing, you're subscribing. Folks, that's going to do it for us. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.